Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined, as always, by former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, consultant, and all-around thought person. What, what do you call your? What's your formal title, Alicia Preston? You're, are you, you're sort of I like officially... a public intellectual. I go by babbler. Babbler. (laughs) My Republican babbler in chief, Alyssa Preston. So on the roundtable this week, I think we we probably have to start with, I know we're a little bit in the way, way back machine. This is last week's news, but we have to touch on the fact that the best stiff arm of the weekend was not in any of the NFL playoff games. It was from U.S. Senator Kirsten Sinema. After President Biden gave an impassioned speech where some people thought he went too far, calling on an end to the filibuster or at least a carve out so that Democrats could pass two election protection pieces of legislation. Senator Sinema took to the U.S. Senate floor and said, no, not going to happen. Go back to the drawing board. This left Democrats despondent and Republicans jubilant. And the question, I guess, Congressman Hodes is, where do we go from here? Well, we follow Kristen Cinema all the way to a Democratic primary in 2024 against uh, President Biden or whoever else one thinks ought to be running for president, uh, including, by the way, Marianne Williamson, who was on the cover of the New York Times style section. But lest I digress, um, that perhaps is the most interesting piece of news to, to come up this week. But back to Kirsten Cinema, somebody else who might fancy herself on the cover of the New York Times style section. Um, her styling is, is, as you say, causing Democrats to pull out their hair, rent their garments, gnash their teeth, and call to the gods, supplicating for some, you know, will no one rid me of my, of my enemies. And so the inter-party fighting is on full display. Kristen Cinema has for the moment at least, the good news is replace Joe Manchin as the object of Democrats' ire. So at least we've got a new pinata to go after. Um, look, political hypocrisy is, is an oxymoron um, for the morons who practice oxy. I mean, the, the fact is that, that political hypocrisy uh, it's it's Kirsten Sinema's best friend. There is no rhyme or reason. She's thrown sand in the gears. And where do Democrats go? Well, I suppose they could they could uh, throw her out of the Senate quickly, hold a special election, and try to get a Democrat in office. That that would be that would be one way to do it. But there's really no way to to do that. Um, it's kind of back to the drawing board and hold off. I mean, I, if, if you can't ha- uh, make some kind of filibuster reform, which is a whole other subject, which we may or may not get into, to, in order to take a vote on some version of voting rights, um, there's, there's not a, a good path that I see to having voting rights voted on uh, right now, and that, and this may be its last best chance because, um, given given the midterms, uh, given what may happen in the midterms, uh, given uh, the 
what is perceived as the weakness of the Biden presidency, it's going to be really, really challenging. Um, and and uh, I I guess I commend Kirsten Cinema for having her own uh, version of backbone to completely torpedo voting rights. But I don't think history will be kind to her. But that's cold comfort in light of the fact that we really need to address what's going on around the country with voter suppression. Alicia, the argument that Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin and quietly, quietly others in the Democratic caucus in the Senate have been putting forward is, look, we get the case. If we do this, chances are we're probably going to lose the Senate majority in 2022. And then payback is a you know what, because it's going to make it all more likely that Senator McConnell, the the new Senate majority leader next time around, is going to just expand further. The slippery slope will slide further and we'll, we'll have a total meltdown in the U.S. Senate. What do you make of that argument, especially given the fact that Senator McConnell hasn't shown himself to be exactly restrained when it comes to just doing whatever he thinks is best to advance his political aims. Do you think that argument has some merit that we have to hold on to the filibuster? Or do you think that they're they're sort of missing the real power dynamics of how the U.S. Senate works? I think it's absolutely true. I mean, we've seen it before back, you know, some years ago, the Democrats were in charge. They, you know, paused the filibuster on non-Supreme Court nominees. I believe that was under Obama. And what happened next come 2017, the Republicans said, well, you did it there. We're going to do it with Supreme Court nominees, too. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And uh, so we've seen this. So, you know, those who say that are correct. That is what will happen. And the Democrats won't have an argument against it because they're trying to do the same thing. But, you know, let's look at the issue itself at hand, which is this voting rights bill, which I do not support. I do not believe in the federalization of our election system, which this is. Um, But let's look at Biden's attempts at persuasion in his speech in Georgia. Here's a tip for Joe Biden. When you are trying to persuade people, particularly those of your own party, to support you, do not compare them to traitors and racists like Jefferson Davis and George Wallace, which is exactly what Joe Biden did in his speech in Georgia. Those that do not support this are compared to Jefferson Davis and George Wallace. He will protect the people from the enemies within. So now they're enemies. This kind of rhetoric needs to stop. It needs to stop, you know, between each other on social media. And it certainly needs to stop from the White House. And yes, President Trump Trump did this kind of stuff, too. And it's terrible. It was a bad precedent. I expect more from Joe Biden. I expected more when he was elected to office, when he was campaigning on unification. That kind of rhetoric is wrong in the United States of America. And that is not an art of persuasion either to get Manchin or cinema on his side. So I mean, the real issue, hang on oh, there, because, uh, oh, 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 I can I can feel your ire across cyberspace at Joe Biden, who all of a sudden has has become the equivalent of Trump in terms of his rhetoric. Look, the real problem is is not Joe Biden's rhetoric. The real problem is that Republicans want to suppress the vote and it's not federalizing the election to take to deal with it when when things are as far off the rails as the crazy Republicans, the Trump acolytes who want to steal votes, forge ballots, suppress the vote, keep people from voting. Um, just like uh, in the civil rights era, it's necessary for the federal government to set some basic standards so that we can have free, fair 
elections. That's the issue. Basic standards are not how many days of early voting. Basic standards are not not allowing voter ID. These aren't basic standards. I mean, you Those have are, to. Ha- these are now basic standards for okay, getting let me ask for, you. for for getting people the ability to vote. The basic standards that you may think about uh, in 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 your Republican of conscience brain, uh, ideologically opposed to uh, federal efforts to help people vote, um, have probably changed. And we now need early voting. We need voting by mail. We need all the things that are in uh, in the voting rights bills that are now being proposed. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question about this because the Freedom to Vote Act is a compromise that originally came out of something that Senator Manchin put together, trying to find a middle ground on a number of issues. By the way, I wrote an article about this about a year ago where I said, hey, why don't we find a middle ground on voting? Let's take a proposal that came from a conservative and let's build on it. And that's what Senator Manchin did. When I wrote that, I got excoriated online by Democrats. How can you possibly agree to any form of voter ID? Well, one of the things that the Freedom to Vote Act has in it is voter ID. All it says is, look, let's not have a race to the bottom with this to have the most extreme, you know, you have to show up and give a DNA sample in order to be able to vote. It says, yeah, let's have voter ID. Here's just a minimum standard so that it's fair across the board in all the states. What's wrong with that? Because the federal government should not be setting guidelines on the election process. This is not how we do this. And even their voter well, ID even regulations. Even the Constitution states- says that the federal government has the responsibility to set the manner and timing of all federal elections. Right. And they have set the manner and timing. You vote on the second but, Tuesday but in November. What does the manner mean? That right? means you vote it's on. The way, it's, the, it's the way the vote is conducted. It has never been intended, which is why it's never been done before, for the federal government to set things such as what voter IDs are allowed, what dates you have to do. The fact that there's early voting at all, which New Hampshire does not have, is nowhere mentioned or intended in the Constitution. I think when it was written, people kind of thought someone could go to election I, I, I on just, the day of the polls. But I, I mean, just dispute your premise because it has been done before. It was done in the Voting Rights Act in 1965 when the federal government came in and said, you know, southern states that are preventing black people from voting, you can't do that. And we're going to create some rules to make sure that you're actually giving people their constitutional rights. And but their that's civil a rights. civil rights thing. Of course. Here's the thing. All, yes, but it's, it's everything's a already covered by civil rights. Of, of everything's elections. already setting, settled by civil rights. It, this goes back to remember several months ago, we had this argument about the Georgia voting laws and people were up in arms that it's intended to prevent black people access to voting. When what it did is it expanded their access to what is called down there as souls to the polls. All this is smoke and mirrors. None of this actually is a problem. And yet the federal government wants to take it over and do it so that they can say it is. And here's my proof. I'm sorry, for the last year plus, people have been saying that there is no widespread election fraud, that it is safe and secure. And all of a sudden now the Democrats want us to believe, well, that's not true. 2020 well, wait was a second. Here, but now all it's not. What do you mean? Of, no, no, the Democrats are not saying that. That No Democrat is saying that, Alicia. That is not true. No then why Democrat do we need this bill? If elections aren't safe because, and secure, why do we need this bill? <laughs> because Republicans are juking the vote. They are taking Where? control. In Georgia? Because in, in Georgia, Georgia, access has been open. Texas, access in, has been opened in Georgia. In Ohio, there are 30 voting days. overturning it. There are 30 voting Friday, days. Just on Friday, a, the Republican 
lead of the Supreme Court of Ohio said, hey, this gerrymandered district map that you put together for both legislative districts and congressional districts, it's totally unconstitutional. You can't do that. Gerrymandering is a completely different topic than access to elections. And in North Carolina, where the Republican led Supreme Court said, you know, your your practices, your voting practices here are racist. You're you're trying to deprive black voters of the ability okay, to vote. Well, How about in thing. Georgia, where in a Democratic Democrat dominated county, they removed six of seven polling locations so that the <laughs> average length of time to vote is 45 miles. Oh, I, that's, okay. that seems well, totally well, no, rational here, to me. But this isn't a problem. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's it, an illusion. it is smoke and mirrors, because here's the thing. If I don't know anything about the North Carolina case you're referencing. I know nothing about that law. But what I know is you just said the Supreme Court said it isn't legal. Guess what that means? That the state systems work. We don't need the federal government to come in. You just proved the state's systems work. No, that's because the, that's because what we're relying on is the goodwill of Supreme Courts that is not being applied across the country. And the that's reason not goodwill, we had the voting that's their action. The reason we had the Voting Rights Act in the first place is that the states proved pretty conclusively that they could not be trusted to apply the law and to give people their constitutional rights. They they. It's like with your kids, if they demonstrate that they can't exercise good responsibility, you take the car keys away, you set some rules, you say, there's a curfew here, you, there are rules of the road for them. It's but the, the same rules thing exist. The you, you already can't stop black no, people from voting. No, they were done away can't. with. They were done away oh, with in oh, 2011. So without this law, states are allowed to say you yes, can't vote if you're that's black. That's why we, okay. yes, yeah, that's that why is we need ridiculous. to reauthorize the John such- ridiculous no, listen, hyperbole this is, this is just a point of fact the oh it's a point of fact that states are allowed to say only white people can vote really that's a point of fact in 2013 yeah, okay. the All voting right. rights act lapsed and what a one of the two bills the democrats ha- want to pass is the voting assertion. rights act okay so without this law you guys are actually going to go to that level without this law states can say only white people can vote you're really going to go there that that's is, ridiculous. That is the effect of that, what is happening. That's okay. what's that going is the effect on. Of okay. What is happening? Okay, you lose the argument when you guys go that far. You completely lose the argument, and this no, is why don't. this bill it's, should not it's, pass. It's it's, it's a, like it, it's a transparent attempt by radical right wing Republicans to suppress the vote, and especially suppress the vote um, when it comes to enabling African American majority places to get to the vote. All you have to do is look at Georgia and say, "Okay, explain to me, give me give me a good answer why eliminating six out of seven polling places, requiring people to travel 45 minutes, many people who don't have cars or other forms of transportation in a largely uh, African-American place, explain to me why that is not suppressing an African-American vote. Explain to me why. What's the rationale? Actually, How can, I can you support I can. it? Let, okay. let, me, let, me, let me introduce a wrinkle here. I think I hear what Alicia is saying. Here's the wrinkle. Yeah, just because it's they, not, they don't say we're white people and we're black white. people. It's not that they're necessarily aiming at black people. They're aiming at Democrats. It just so happens. Remember what, what John Dillinger said when he was the number one most wanted man on the FBI's most wanted list? Why do you rob banks? And he said, well, that's where the money is. Well, why do Republicans suppress votes in majority black places? Well, that's where the Democrats are. So if you have 
a state where there are a lot of black voters and you're trying to engineer the voting laws to try and decrease and suppress democratic votes, it just so happens that you do it in a way that suppresses black votes. We're not saying that Republicans are out and out racist. We're saying that that is the, that is the effect. That is the effect. And it's against the law. It should be against the law. The problem is the Voting Rights Act was lapsed in 2013. And now we need to put it back in place because these states have shown time and time again that they cannot be trusted with the car keys. They don't have the maturity not to mess around and try and rig the votes to keep themselves in power. I am happy that Democrats such as yourselves and Joe Biden are going to continue with this preposterous level of hyperbole, calling us traitors, enemies, bigots. First of all, what happened in Lincoln County, Georgia, was the smaller spaces that they had of the six of the seven did not actually fit social distancing and space guidelines. So they closed them. Was that the right thing to do when there's no public transport, not enough public transportation? Maybe not. But the rationale is not what you guys said. They're not like, let's close these so black people can't vote. It's ridiculous. It's a part of the division of this country that is ruining society. And if people want to dig a little bit deeper, just Google and find out why those six locations were closed. They didn't fit COVID guidelines. We were in the middle of the COVID pandemic in 2020. Oh, I see. That's why they were closed. I see. So, so Alicia, I want to compliment you. I want to compliment you because you are one of the great spin doctors I have mm. ever met Thank in my you. life. The idea, the subterfuge that Republicans used to close those, the rationale, my 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 aged brain cramps at the at at the at the real word for what is going on, but it's a lie. It's a lie. Well it, it's, it's not necessarily a lie. It could be true, but the effect is the same. So so Let's say you say, okay, we have to close all of these polling locations, but then what's the alternative? Why aren't you finding other polling locations? Why are you saying, okay, we're closing the polling locations, but no drop-off boxes. Can't do that. No vote by mail. Can't, Can't do that. The effect is the same. And I'm not getting at intent. No one is saying, you know, these the, the Republicans in the state are meeting in a dark room and saying, hey, let's be racist. That's You're all not, saying that. You're all saying that. We are Joe not Biden's saying, saying that. that. We are not saying that. And you know what? The claim that, you know what? You guys are going too far to call out the effect of what is going on. That is a deflection. It the the At the end of the day, the effect of all of this is Republicans, where they control the laws, are trying to pass new laws that limit the ability of Democrats to vote and even worse, give themselves powers to go in after the fact and change the outcome if they don't like it. That is terrible for American democracy. So uh, I have a true confession to make, which is, which is, Robeson, you, you, you strike such a reasonable and rational balance and you, you don't question motives and you're, you know, you're unwilling. I'm going there. I'm questioning their motives, I'm questioning their rationale, um, because it's true. And what they you're do a working shows, this. you're saying, I want to take away their guns. I want to take I want to take away their right, right. to suppress. Rhodes and I disagree on this one. And now we have got to move on to an equally incendiary topic, the insurrection. 
it was pretty exciting stuff last week for people who have been wondering, why aren't we bringing the hammer down on the people who tried to commit a coup in our country to see Attorney General Merrick Garland bring some pretty serious charges against the leaders of the Oath Keepers, whatever that group is, for seditious conspiracy. Paul Hodes, as always, we're going to lean on you in your dual role as a former congressman and a former prosecutor. Could you just walk us through the significance of a charge of seditious conspiracy? What does that mean? Why is this why is this a bigger deal than the kinds of charges we've seen against the 700 or so other people who have come under some form of indictment for their role in the January 6th insurrection? Uh, so a conspiracy to commit a crime is an agreement tacit or expressed by um, one by more than one person to commit a crime. And conspiracy is uh, a crime, whether or not the underlying crime is or is not successful. Um, and uh, in this case, uh, the Justice Department very importantly, has identified the assault on the Capitol as sedition, an attempt to overthrow uh, the government, even though Trump apologists argue this was not a coup or an effort to upset the government. The indictment by Garland uh, very clearly argues otherwise and goes after the ringleaders uh, of the plot um, who were uh, the, the oath keepers were in the forefront of this uh, plot. Uh, and conspiracy to commit sedition is a serious offense with long prison terms. So those who have been criticizing Garland um, uh, now take some comfort because uh, if in fact he's following up the chain and will look at the actions that preceded the assault on January 6th, i.e. the seditious conspiracy that preceded the assault, then there is reason to hope he'll go up the chain. Um, remember also that uh, in the Constitution, uh, there's a section that disqualifies elected officials from holding federal office if they've engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort uh, to those who did. Um, and so that whoever, the federal law says, whoever incites sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States, et cetera, et cetera, can go to jail for 10 years and fined and shall be- And, and can I ask you, can I ask you a follow-up question about that sure. then? We saw a group of activists file suit to try to remove the Republican firebrand Madison Cawthorn from office last week. And it was on the grounds, it sounded to me, of what you just said, that he had participated in an insurrection and therefore under the Constitution was not eligible to hold public office. Is that the reason why Republican leaders have been so reluctant to use the word insurrection? And the biggest pushback you've seen from even relatively mainstream Republican media outlets has been you can't apply the term insurrection because it has legal ramifications. Because if you were to apply that term under federal statute to the actions of elected leaders in Congress or some of the activists who, who were engaged in the January 6th attack, it would have a very, very different legal meaning and it could bar them from office. 
Absolutely. I mean, look, you've got uh, the big lie that starts well before the election. You've got the election. You've got the time in between the election and the and January 6th when President Tr then President Trump, his allies and many members of Congress actually incited um, an insurrection by supporting the big lie. And then as we get closer to January 6th, inciting uh, the assault on the Capitol to uh, prevent Mike Pence from certifying the results of the valid election. That, um, that insurrection and inciting that insurrection is enough. So who wants to use the word insurrection and give any power to that word when that's what the Constitution talks about. It's a constitutional term uh, for, uh, ins it says insurrection or rebellion. So you could now start to parse the difference between insurrection or rebellion. And uh, I suppose, and I, I haven't looked at the uh, precise definition, but an insurrection would seem to be something short of a rebellion. A rebellion perhaps is more organized um, and more widespread than an insurrection, but storming the Capitol to prevent the certification of the vote is certainly an insurrection. So, certainly, certainly by any plain English dictionary right. definition, and if you look it up in the dictionary. But uh, Lisha, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you are a Republican who has the, uh, I, I, let me imply a radio word here. You have the gumption, you have the intestinal fortitude to say, yeah, it was an insurrection, duh. Um, which, I mean, kudos to you for that. What do you make of this move from a political standpoint? From a legal standpoint, it sounds from what Paul is saying like it makes all kinds of sense and it is very serious. But do you see a danger here of a blowback, of a, of a double down effect where Republicans are now going to be even more afraid of getting linked to the possibility of a charge like this that could be much more serious and could end political careers? Well, a few things. One, my first reaction when these charges came out was good. I'm glad that it was found to be able to be taken so seriously. Uh, my next reaction was, oh, good. Can these right wing wacko talking heads shut up now? Because if you Google, there's a whole montage of them saying, no one's been charged with sedition. So why do we keep saying this? No one's been. Well, now I think 11 people have been charged. So hush. Um, it is what it was. It was an insurrection. And I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a member of the legal field and I'm not an officer of the court, so I can call it whatever I want. And it was an insurrection. Um, if, if people are afraid that they're going to be found to have been connected with it and it might hurt them politically, I don't care. Because if it comes out that any member of our government, be that an employee or an elected official, were in communication with one of these 11 Oath Keepers ahead of January 6th and were even aware of, let alone with the the planning of it or aware it was going to happen. I hope they are arrested, tried and convicted of the crime. So if they're concerned about political ramifications for being tied to something and they were indeed tied to it, don't care. Good. Can I just amplify something you just said? I, I wish I feel like we should invent a segment here on the Balance of Power Roundtable. The argument of the day, because I feel like I could hand it to Alicia for what you just said. If what if if you're in the position where you're nervous that you might be vulnerable to being barred from holding office because of your role in the insurrection, you've probably done something pretty bad. And we probably don't want you in public office. If that's something that you really feel guilty and nervous about, you need to take a long, long look in the mirror. 
rant over. Paul, just wheeling it back to you for a second. Just this morning on the Beyond Politics show, we released an interview that we did last week, just as this news was breaking about the indictment of the Oath Keepers, with Fred Wellman. He's the former executive director of the Lincoln Project. I think most of us have heard of the Lincoln Project at this point. They did all those very aggressive, very viral videos, and then they kind of fell on hard times. Former Republican chairwoman Jennifer Horn was involved in in some of the fallout. There were charges against some of the leaders. There There was a lot of back and forth. That group has fallen on some hard times. You and I could get into a whole bunch of backstory about our relationship with Jennifer Horn at another time. I bear her no ill will. She's fine. But (laughs) more to the point, Fred has now started this new project, the Beer Hall Project. And it breaks a cardinal rule of politics, which is never compare anything to the Nazis. It doesn't go well. The title of his project goes right back to the Beer Hall Putsch and the the roots of the fascist party in Germany. And his claim is that's what we see happening here in America with the Trump movement. That's what we saw begin to gather steam on January 6th. And we need to fight back against it. It was a fascinating interview. We did it as an audio. People can find it on the Beyond Politics podcast. It's also out as a video. So check us out on, on Beyond Politics on Facebook, or you can look it up on YouTube. The video is available there. Paul, just just give people a, a thumbnail, if you don't mind. What was your big takeaway from the conversation with Fred Wellman? Um, the big takeaway uh, for, with Fred was that um, at least up to the point of the interview, and, and, and my thinking has actually changed a little bit, he thought that there was insufficient response and lack of preparedness for what is really going on in this country. Because putting all of this aside, January 6th was, I'm sorry to say to folks, the beginning, not the end. Um, There are armed forces gathering. There are Trump acolytes. Trump is out there stumping. This is all a continuing problem that demands a very strong response. In that light, that's why I think uh, the action by the DOJ to indict these Oath Keepers who planned and plotted, including with Trump aides, um, uh, for this insurrection is so important because the indictment lays out a legal avenue for indicting Trump and his cronies if if the facts are there. Trump's involvement, including incitement, failure to halt it, um, his the attempts by his aides to coordinate with the Oath Keeper could, could, could get him on seditious conspiracy. But even more important in this indictment is there's a charge of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. That does not require prosecutors to show proof of uh, use of force or violence, as happened in the insurrection. Uh, That is just a conspiracy to obstruct. So you've got an overwhelming amount of evidence coming in about what happened with the counting of the votes and, and what the attempt by so many people was to obstruct that proceeding. That could be real problems for Trump, for his cronies, and for members of the United States Congress. Just shifting gears real quick from totally insane off the rail, used to be Republicans, now they're members of the Trump party type people, to actual real life, you could still call them mainstream Republican types, newly sworn in Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin made some headlines at the very end of last week and going into the weekend when he lifted 
mask requirements in schools. I started hearing from an awful lot of people in Virginia who are middle of the road voters who said, wait a second, I thought we were electing kind of a mainstream, thoughtful, throwback Republican type in the given the Omicron wave. Is this sensible? Why would he give this sop to the right wing? Alicia, you kind of know the mind here of of Republican politics better than any of us. What do you make of this? Does this make sense? Is this sort of in line with sort of mainstream Republican thinking about how to handle COVID? Or did Youngkin make a little bit of an odd misstep here at at the outset of his term? I would like to speak to my fellow Republicans for a moment. My fellow Republicans, we believe and have always believed in local control. We have never believed of state, let alone federal, takeover of our local school systems. We have always believed and mandated through our policies and our legislation that local school districts get to make decisions for their own because we believe in the closest denominator is best for our children. So what Youngkin did was political posturing because they all get stuck in this bubble and COVID is somehow and masks and vaccines are all political and partisan and it's dumb. And if a school wants to have mask mandate, the local school district should choose why? Because it's what we Republicans have always stood for and believed. Paul, just real quick, what, what's your reaction on this? It seems like the politics of masking have really shifted in the last six months. We saw response to COVID as sort of the dominant issue in the California gubernatorial recall election. And it seems like Democrats, especially Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, we had Mark Bergman, top Virginia political expert on our show a few months ago, right before the Virginia election. And it seems like Democrats really overlearned the lesson of California and they went hard on, on COVID response and it did not go well, it blew up in their, in their face. And now the politics are shifting forward. Is this, is this a misstep here or is Governor Youngkin kind of reading the room correctly that Americans are sort of over COVID restrictions and especially when it comes to schools? Yeah, you know, live free and die. I mean, 800, only 850,000 people have died. I mean, we've only got an Omicron surge that's that's put our hospitals on red alert because they can't find nurses or beds. I mean, come on, what's what's the big deal? Why should we use masks? That's so intrusive on our personal liberty. Um, this simply shows Glenn Yonkin and, and the title of moderate Republican for what moderate Republican has become. Um, he's uh, he's must be throwing a sop to the right wing of which he is a proud member. There was a lot of discussion in the wake of his victory that he may represent a new model, a new way forward for Republicans. He was able to sort of walk that very tight line between being acceptable to Trump and the Trump base, but being essentially seen as a as a pretty reasonable, traditional, moderate-ish corporate Republican. And in fact, a number of of analysts were saying he might be a great candidate for president as soon as 2024. Is this this a case of, as Alicia, as you were saying, kind of being stuck in the mode of thinking about the base and not looking forward enough? Or is it no longer politically relevant, these these mask wars, these COVID wars in in a politics sense? Are we just too stuck on what was really politically relevant six months ago? 
you know, it's politically relevant because if people keep jumping on this bandwagon, the anti-mask, the anti-vaccine, um, my party is going to die out. I mean, we don't have that big of a margin between Republicans and Democrats in this country. And you don't need too many percent to not take COVID seriously to, uh, you know, to not survive it. Uh, I think it's insane what has become that has become so political uh you know to paul's point 850,000 americans are dead i personally as of two weeks ago uh know of seven deaths i had to attend another virtual funeral uh this is serious and i don't know why the extreme right wing has made it political and actually there's now this group on the left wing that's doing the same thing for different reasons but they got to the same point and i i don't understand it I, you know wear a mask get vaccinated and let local schools make decisions for themselves this is how america should live as a shared society you know when I say shared society, people say, but I'm allowed to worry about me. I get to live free or die, my individual rights. Your individual rights exist, but unless you're making them based on what's good for those near you, next to you, and in your country as well, you're a selfish bleep. I love that. I, uh, I Now I don't have to go back in and have our crack engineering staff at WKXL Radio insert the bleep. Alicia's self-bleeping. I, I do want to point out that on the Beyond Politics show, again, Please subscribe, folks. You can find it any, anywhere you listen to your podcast. We had Donald G. McNeil Jr., the former lead COVID reporter for the New York Times, a couple of weeks ago. And he floated kind of an interesting piece of math, which, by the way, Paul, I'm not sure if you saw that. For people who follow Donald McNeil on Medium, um, where he now writes since his retirement from the New York Times, he actually followed up on the thought that he just kind of spitballed on our show and wrote a whole article about it, which is, as we see more and more, the skewing of the unvaccinated equals Republicans. Early on, it the it was the it was the case that the unvaccinated was a little bit split. There was sort of the Trump crowd, but then there were people who were more Democrats. People of color were were somewhat reticent about taking the vaccine. But in the last six or seven months, that's increasingly shifted. And now almost all of the cases of Omicron that we're seeing are among the unvaccinated and almost all of the unvaccinated are Republicans and almost all Republicans are Trump voters. And so his case was, if you look at the death rates, and this is kind of horrible and macabre, and I hate even talking about the deaths of Americans, whatever their political views in a, in a political context. But his point was that the simple math of it is we could be losing a thousand Americans a day on average, which we are, and the vast majority of them could be Republicans. And after a few weeks and a few months, you start to add up to some pretty significant numbers, especially in swing states like Wisconsin, Arizona, where you saw very, very thin margins for Joe Biden. And his theory was, why did Donald Trump come out and finally support getting boosted? It's because someone whispered in his ears, hey, you know, your supporters are dying. And to that end, that was the subject of a little spat, a little lover's quarrel over the weekend between Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. When Trump called Ron DeSantis, I think not, not by naming him, but very clearly by implication, called him gutless for not coming out and saying whether he was boosted. Alicia, I got to turn back to you as a resident Republican psychologist. What is up? What was your reaction to this, this spat between Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, who may be positioning himself to run whether or not Donald Trump runs, 
and this whole issue of boosting in vaccines. Look, Ron DeSantis is a looney tuny. He is a looney tuny. He will not be president of the United States uh, unless Joe Biden runs. Wait, I, 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 wait, 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 sorry. wait, wait. That's I, what I'm they getting said a about... postcard from me from six years ago. Yeah, we when, said the same I... thing about Donald Trump. Yes, yes. Well, In I, fact, that was yeah, exactly the language so. that everybody <laughs> that everybody used about Trump. So um, what, are you saying that compared to Trump, DeSantis is even more loony? I mean, he's a Harvard-educated military veteran. He's a smooth-talking 43-year-old matinee idol-looking governor. And uh, you're saying that this dust-up um, means that he's loony? I mean... Come no, on. this dust up doesn't mean he's loony. Just in general, he's loony. Our, well, our politics has gone <laughs> completely general. off the rails with Looney Tunes. Okay, is, is that I'm sorry. I interrupt. I guess is my I, I inter- question. I, I'm sorry for interrupting. Let's go back to the Looney Tunes cartoon. Okay, <laughs> right, right. We we are pushing back even harder than we did in the first segment of the show where we were talking about voting rights. We are pushing back on the premise that being Looney Tunes is disqualifying for public office in America. But I want to hear the rest of your point, Alicia. <laughs> Look, Ron DeSantis <laughs> is trying to be more Trumpian than Donald Trump. And what he doesn't understand is that's not going to work. Donald Trump doesn't have the adoration from so many that he has because of his policies, even his style. He has it simply because he's Donald Trump. It is that human being that has the adoration of so many. Ron DeSantis, DeSantis can emulate him. He can try to be more Trumpian than him, but he will never be Trump. And therefore, he cannot get that level of adoration and support, particularly if Donald Trump opposes him. And so, you know, he's misguided in thinking if I'm more Trumpian, I'll get the support of Donald Trump. No, if you want Donald Trump's support and the support of his adorers, then you just have to adore him. This is simply how it works. But, you know, he right now is on this kick. He's uh, he started a, a policy. He wants a police force. A police force. This is how Looney Tunes this guy's gotten. And the police force will be to enforce election law. Okay, well, we all want election laws, but this is what it says. He wants six million dollars and 52 people to, quote, investigate, detect. We need Paul to do this imitation. He's better and sound British if you do it. Apprehend and arrest anyone for an alleged violation of election laws. No state in the country has ever done this. And he's just so extreme. He's like, okay, Trump's pretty extreme. How can I be more extreme? And people will like me more. And this is the, he's getting pushback on this because even Republicans are like, dude, that's a little bit, you know, Orwellian. You know, I, when, I can't uh, even, I can't even, Paul, you go. I, I keep thinking, I mean, my, my brain works in really funny ways, as as Madden and, and our listeners probably know. But I, when when Alicia says he's trying to it's Trump that they love for being Trump and and DeSantis trying to out Trump him. I go back to the original um, James Bond uh, with Goldfinger and mm. covering that woman in gold and, and, and killing her by 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 completely covering covering her in gold. And I mean, you know, Trump and and the golden touch uh, is what people must love. Look at how successful he is because everything he touches is gold. So there's no way DeSantis is going to cover himself with gold. Ann Coulter, by the way, and the great Ann Coulter, the, the brilliant commentator, uh, has said Trump is done. You guys should stop obsessing over him. I don't know if Trump is done, uh, but neither is DeSantis. And although he's a distant second in the polls right now with Republicans, uh, if Trump falters or perhaps is indicted, oh, please, 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 
uh, DeSantis is not going to be shy about putting his 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 fortunes forward, especially when he has seventy million dollars in the bank raised from a lot of people close to Mar-a-Lago. Well, I think if we've learned absolutely nothing else on the show, and I've actually learned quite a lot on this show about voting rights and about seditious conspiracy. I think what we've learned is that Donald Trump is Goldfinger and Ron DeSantis Gold is gold finger. member. Uh, he's the man. The Before man things completely degenerate on the balance of power roundtable, <laughs> which they are in danger of doing, I am going to have to sign off on WKXL. I'm Matt Robeson from Paul Hodes, Militia Preston. We will see you next time on Balance of Power. <laughs>